everyone. That music means only one thing, that this is time for Like Trees Walking. This is Michael J. Nelson along with Pastor Dave Berge, pastor at Resurrection Minneapolis That's Church right. on 36th and Aldrich. Th- you tell 30th. lies. 35th, Mike. Well, I, sometimes I take 36 it's, to get there. That's so, right. So that's how you get there. Anyway. And if you do go down 36, then you you can park on the east side of the street, and then you can walk right in. That's much easier. Versus yeah. if you go down 35th, then you're taking a left. You're parking on the east side, so you have to cross the road, Aldrich Avenue, to get into the church. So. The street right in front of the church, <laughs> I should point out, Aldrich, yes. is a narrow street. If you are visiting our church in the winter... It's going to be tough because there's those berms of snow. There are, and your cars are just squeezed out into the middle. It's very difficult. But but plenty of street, no parking lot, but plenty of street parking. Plenty of street parking is available. Everybody gets a parking. Is spot. available anyway. This <laughs> That's is the, great. That was you want some act. directions? If you come up the middle of the stairway, you're gonna you know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, all right. We we got too granular right away. Well, uh, we should broaden out. Let's go. This zoom the, zoom out. Uh, yeah. Zooming out. This is the podcast where. Pastor Dave and I, who am I? I'm just a guy. Um, I own radio equipment, and so I said to Pastor Dave, let's do a podcast where you talk about, and I'll join you, about the important things in life from a Christian perspective, as we are both Christians in sort of a mainstream Protestant way, I would yeah. say. Yes. That's our, that's our brand. But we talk about many different things, and we welcome all points of view to listen. You could be on any part of the spectrum and still find it enjoyable and thoughtful, we hope. I sure hope so. And I do want to say thank you, everyone who does listen, who doesn't. I mean, I hope there's no person that you listen to all the time and agree with all the time, right? Besides yourself. No, of course not. But we appreciate, we especially want to give a shout out to those people who maybe go, you know what? I see things very differently than than Mike and Dave. But gosh darn it, those guys just are just. They're giving it their best shot. Isn't, isn't that a modern phenomenon? I find it even in the very relatively calm area of comedy where somebody will be a fan for many, many years, and then I will make fun of a movie that they like, and they'll go, look, You're I've liked you me. for 35 years, but then you had to go and make fun of Mannequin 2, and I, we're done, <laughs> you and I. And I just find that a curious thing. Like, it is strange. None of us are going to agree you know, about many, many things, and so... So yes, I appreciate those who stick it out and don't have that modern inclination to go, well, they said something oh. of with which I disagree. Goodbye, sir. Oh. I said good day. Uh, what, what is that? I forget where it's from. Up with which I shall not yes. put. What's that from? This like? is something. It has been attributed to Winston Churchill, which is not true. Okay. But it's a great line. Uh, an editor sends the, you know, you can't leave a, what is that called? A, a dangling, dangling you know, modifier? modifier? Yeah, Infinit- I, don't I don't know. Infinitive? I don't, I yeah, don't know dang- anything about yeah. I'm terrible. But, uh, and then so, according to the story, Churchill writes back, oh, it circles it and says, this is something up with which I shall not put. <laughs> so. <laughs> I love it. Just showing how stupid those kinds of rules are. Anyway, yeah, so we're going to talk about a big topic today, something huge. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Pastor Dave has uh, sprung on me that he has, I think, the hottest of hot takes. I have a hot take. Sizzling hot take. Fresh off of Michael Scott's foot searing waffle (laughs) iron. No, it was George George Foreman Foreman Grill. Grill. What happened to the George Foreman Grill? Like, one of the biggest successes in all of history. I saw a little thing about George Foreman once, like, just printing money. 
but and then like and i was in college and let me tell you the foreman grill was every college kid's like best friend who wanted to like who had an apartment and was like cooking didn't know how to make any food so you just throw the chicken breast in the, or the burger on the foreman grill and like that was your way of cooking for yourself was it just burning down dorm rooms <laughs> left and right absolutely but i don't smoke know smoke everywhere grease and like everyone had a foreman grill and now no one has a foreman see I come from the era where it wasn't Foreman Grills. It was um, hot pots, not not the traditional, but just uh, water boilers, you oh, know, yeah. those kind. Yes. And people, you weren't supposed to do it, but you'd throw your noodles into <laughs> the water with the boiling water and make macaroni and cheese in them. And then you'd drain it in the uh, water fountains in the oh, hallway. Gosh, and so, so there's always noodles mac- in the yes, mac- yes, yes. It's so so disgusting. <laughs> yes. Anyways. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, How did we get on George? For- Why did that? Because oh, because Michael it's a Sots. Hot, a hot yes, take. yes. Yeah. it is like it's burning hot. This take is going, and there's no fat that's going to be coming out no. of this one dripping in the pan because this is lean, that's, uncut, pure take. Just going to hear that sizzle. All yeah. right, uh, but before that, why don't you introduce your big topic and let's dive in? I will. Well, we, Mike, you know, here's a segue for you. We were talking about those kind of silly linguistic rules and dangling modifiers. Well, that reminds me. That brings to mind. Uh, a prominent linguist who I also identified on our episode as my favorite atheist. You cheated, if you'll remember in that episode, Mike, uh, and you said C.S. Lewis was your favorite atheist, which was such a just such a cheating move uh, because he's not he became not an atheist. But I identified a true, genuine is still actually an atheist. Biden remains an atheist. Remains an atheist. He's a professor of linguistics at Columbia University. His name is John. McWhorter. Um, and so John, uh, I've been, you know, reading, uh, I discovered his writing actually in books and culture, which was a Christianity today, uh, publication. Always, always liked his articles in there. And then, um, I read about him, you know, he writes much frequently on the topics of race, um, which has come to, you know, he's been kind of a writing about that for a, a, a long, long time. Um, and has probably more recently read to, uh, He's gained even more prominence as that's become an even more prominent topic over the course of the past year and a half. And so I find John McWhorter, um, he kind of shares my uh, intellectual spirit, I'd say, in that he's a bit of a contrarian. And so I always have a soft spot in my heart for contrarians, even quasi-cranks. I wouldn't put him in the crank camp at all, but you know, even people who are like quasi-cranks, like there's something, people who sort of dare to like, be stand you know stand athwart whatever the like cultural context in where like their 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 thought does not predominate i have a respect yeah i think we both i think we share that yeah i think yes so anyways but i'm not here to praise john mccord nor to bury him no i'm just here to offer a critique that i think fit i I definitely believe it fits on a hits on a big issue that is um that is also universal in scope, but also particular to this moment. And I'm going to draw attention to. So he has been publishing via Have you aware of a medium called Substack? Uh, I'm not. Uh, my knowledge, I know the word. It's like a, it's basically like a you pay money and you get an email newsletter. Right. It's like a like a it's a publication platform. Mm-hmm. You know, a blog to your inbox or whatever. And so McWhorter was publishing. He was self. He was going to self-publish a book. Now I think it's actually got a real publisher in Penguin or Random House. So someone's putting it out uh, in the fall. But his whole thing is he's seen basically since 
I think he would identify it as really rising up post, you know, and this is all the rage now, uh, post, uh, po- but certainly post, you know, May 2020, uh, that he identifies anti-racism as a religion. It's a new religion, he says. And so he is titling this book originally The Elect because he's saying that the people who are really into it, they're like a new elect who are into this new uh, religion. Now, that could be like – and I, I think there's some truth to what he's saying. But I think that there is a shallowness to what he's saying as well that really I find irksome. And I've been finding it irksome for quite some time and think I think maybe even – on this podcast, when I named him as my favorite atheist, I did make mention of this aspect of his thinking that at the time I found irksome, the fact that he says, hey, this thing is like a religion and religion is bad, you know, like, yeah. therefore, this thing is bad, too. And I read an article in First Things basically leveling that exact same critique. And that's this. Anti-racism is like a religion. This religion I don't like. This religion I don't like is bad. Therefore, this version of anti-racism is bad. That's basically how he's talking about it. And I don't think think it's too facile to put it um, as a syllogism. And at the heart of McWhorter's critique, or one of the heart of his critique, is that it's um, it's it's non-empirical or it's anti-rational. And that's what religion is. And I just want to say, you know, and he's an atheist. He's not an agnostic. He's a, he's a you know, he, he's a self-professed atheist, which much, which it must mean he's a materialist, right? That, well, the way he talks about things reveals him to be a materialist. If he's if he's not claiming agnosticism, one would think. Yeah, right. And so I just want to say, okay, for, uh, first of all, John, all of us have like non-empirical commitments. Not mean they're not informed by evidence, but we're not just empiricists running around, pure empiricists. There's very few of them. Let's take things that we love, like um, we live in a liberal society, like you know, small l liberal. Yeah. So. Uh, like the belief in human rights, is that an is that like an empirically based belief, or is that just a set of convictions? That and I'm not, you know, I think that that is a faith. We believe in um, certain foundational rights that have been endowed to us by our Creator. That's not a bug. That's a feature of those things. Yeah, yeah. So we all have foundational commitments that are not test tube scientist you know neil i mean the worst parody of neil degrasse tyson right (laughs) like that's where you get into like the pure sort of spock rationality garbage right yes whatever whoever is running his twitter account as a parody yes that's (laughs) and is it a is it a put on at this point mike is there a do you think he's is he has that's, is Neil deGrasse Tyson self-aware of how he comes across? That's a strange long con, isn't it? Especially when you have a reputation to uphold, to be like, I'm going to push it even further. I, I don't see the point of it. I okay. think it must be part of his personality. It's just like, I can't help myself. Got to say it. You know, it's like, I've told you before, and this is a well-known thing with comedians. You will publish, well, I used to publish on Twitter, Within three seconds, your joke is fact-checked by about 100 people. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's really? the first people oh, in. Gosh. It's like, you know, nobody, uh, chickens actually generally don't cross roads. You know, whatever. <laughs> it's just like, I, I know that's, you know, premise is made up for the point, you know. But uh, he just does that to life. And I think he can't help himself. Yeah. So I, I agree. But let's get back to John McWhorter. He yes. says this, so he says this thing is like a religion. That is in and of itself, could be an interesting observation, an interesting statement. Where he really loses me is, 
it's like this religion I don't like and everything is bad about religion. To me, it just reveals a, a, a real shallowness in terms of his understanding of what religion is and also a shallowness in his own understanding, which he should have better of, of his own non-empirical commitments to what he believes about how the world should and ought to be. I believe in free inquiry, the exchange of ideas, freedom of speech, freedom of association. Well, none of those things are – those are values. Those are those are are grounded in some evidence. I think the site is like this is better, but they're not in, they're not derivable from some sort of pure empirical view of the world. And so, yes, yeah. And I, I think there's another point that I like to bring up is that uh, I think implicit in that is that followers of any religion are blind followers of that religion, right? And I'm not denying that there are blind followers of religion, but that doesn't mean they're wrong. Um, you know, not everyone has to prove things that are actually true are are believed by people who don't have good basis for right. for thinking that they're true. But they they still could have a good basis for being true. So it's sort of a slam on religions to say blind because I can point out like Bill Maher can find people who are dummies who believe in you know Christianity. Like, huh, huh. Well, we can find dummies who believe in everything. Yes, exactly. There's so, just a lot of dummies a, out there. Yeah, it's a dumb point. A very stupid point. And also, like at at some point a day, also like a lack of a pre- like, <laughs> like he's critic. You know, he says that these are sermons as a critique. Well, you could say that in certain forms of discourse, like there are um, th- that you should apply a certain type of rhetoric when you're engaged in a certain type of 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 discourse. So what's appropriate in one setting is not appropriate in another. That's for sure, right? Like if you're giving a lecture, it shouldn't be the same as a sermon, but. A sermon should be a sermon. There's nothing wrong with a sermon. And so, like, for example, let's put an academic setting. When you're going to a commencement, you're not expecting – like, what are you expecting? And a kind of an inspirational speech, right? This isn't some, like, um, you know, hey, kids, as you go out into the future, you know, follow your, follow your dreams, find what you love, you know, pursue it. As sort of treacly as that might be, um, you're not sitting there going – Oh well, do you have um, the surveys and the evidence to, prov- to to prove that following your dreams is actually the correct thing to do? And what is a dream, and how do we know that? Like, that is a dumb criticism of to say something is sermonic and therefore like sub rational or something like that is completely stupid and misses the point of 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 what a what actually the function of a sermon or the type of rhetoric that would be comparable to a sermon is. So. Like, come on, man. Broaden your horizons is another one of mine. But you can say that sermons are problem. Like, you can't only give sermons. And, 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 and I get that. And people who purport to be offering what would be kind of reasoned analysis who are only giving you sermons, I can also understand that as a critique as well. But all that to say that um, let, let's look at something as a religion. What does religion have? You know, yes, it has foundational commitments. It has a way of looking at the world. It, it has sacred texts. Uh, it has, uh, you know, kind of encounters or experiences of worshiping the sacred. I think what McWhorter's real critique of anti-racism is, it's, it's a religion that he doesn't like. Not that it's like these other religions that he doesn't like, but it in and of itself is a religion that he doesn't like because of these features. He doesn't like its creed. So he doesn't agree with its foundational commitments. He doesn't like the type of basically disciples that it makes, you know, the practi- the most true blue believers and practitioners of it. 
he doesn't like how they engage in the world. Now, that's just a different form of, uh, of critique. He doesn't believe in its – yeah, he's critiquing its, its theology and its practice. So that's fine. It's quite a leap of difference to say because I think there's a legitimate criticism – uh, well, if it is a criticism, to say that uh, there's a substitutionary religion for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. A lot of, you know, we've talked about it before. Uh, human beings are religious creatures. Uh, we believe there's a reason for that. We were made for God and the religion that we believe in. Fair enough, you don't have to believe that, but you see a lot of religious-type fervor in other things. So I think that's a legitimate uh, you know, outlook on some a movement to say it is religious like it is their substitutionary religion, and the fervor with which they embrace it is like a religion. But that's not to say it is therefore wrong because they have the fervor of a religious person. That's it, that's a totally different thing. Precisely, okay. Beaut- beautifully stated, Mike. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm getting at here. And so, uh, you know, that that yeah, saying something like. A religion is like a religion isn't in and of itself like some sort of damaging or yeah you're or not done your, your critique isn't done when you go see it's like here I pointed out it's like a religion therefore it's idiotic and not true no you're sorry you, and, got, and, you got more work to do exactly like it would you could say geez let's let's think about the civil rights movement in the 1960s that was like a religion I mean yes. in, in many aspects not a expression of um, of actual religion, not a sort of like replacement of that he's saying, but it's like, geez, Martin Luther King's getting up there and giving all of these sermons trying to inspire. It's like, well, no, we, we kind of like that. Or, uh, you know, at this point in time, almost everybody in the world looks at that and is like, wow, that was a very powerful deployment of spiritual and religious themes uh, that were grounded in Christianity, but then kind of a universal, universalistic kind of a, a expression of Christianity as well. Like, well, you're going to criticize like Martin Luther King because he's just getting up there giving a sermon, right? You know, <laughs> on the Washington Mall, that w- that was very sermonic. It looks a lot like a church, you know, people Look- staring ahead at the guy at the podium and reacting in the way they would to a sermon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's like th- that's where it just even breaks down further. Where you're going, well, that was really like a religion, and man, that really led to a lot of social changes that we still one of the few things that in this country binds us together as feeling really proud of and so there it just breaks down too and to me gets back to this is like a this is like a form of religion that you just don't like and so um you could say this is like a bad religion and so my critique has to be again to the specifics of the thing itself to its worldview to its implicit theology to even its theological anthropology meaning what does it posit about the human person and you know who we are and what we're we're made for so you've got to again be specific the more general critique fails to me just falls completely flat on its face and uh, is this like a repeated writing of his is it yes. a, a repeated theme this okay. is this is i would say this new book like from what he's published so far on his Substack, which I've been reading, it's like the theme that, oh, okay. that keeps going. Now, so is it like chapter after chapter? And chapter. This is showing how it's like these are like sermons. This is like the faithful doing X or Y. Or yeah, something. yeah, and and so it's like you can be critical because and and it's just that you know yeah that 
he's po- he kind of to me is conflating every single religious person is a basically like a completely closed off you know wild eyed fervent you know sort of anti rational fanatic. Well, there's some re- people there's some religious people who are like that, but I've spent my whole life hanging around religious people. In fact, that's my job. Have you ever heard of hurting cats? Like it's <laughs> religious people are that I've dealt with are they're it's very difficult to uh you know he's describing almost something like a fundamentalist movement or a cult or something like that. Your it's job like, would be a lot easier if people just fell in line and did heck yeah. accept the the words that dropped for Oh from just your... yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> no, 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 no. People always are raising questions. They're always having disputes. They're you know uh, uh, about about almost everything. And so that in and of itself is like, dude, you haven't been enough around enough religious people. We don't all just get together and um all say the same thing and mean the same thing and always agree with each other and say, oh, yes, Brother Mike, that's a, you know, like this, this is, it's, it's, so to me, it just reveals a profound, if you're going to level something as a critique and your knowledge of the phenomenon of religion is about an inch deep, you maybe should pick another analogy that you understand better. Right. I, I always do the thing like, okay, if we're going to talk about science and rationality, then let's just apply, uh, it's Karl Popper, right? Yes, the Karl Popper. You know, it's falsifiable. Mm-hmm. Scientific theory has to be false. All religious believers are mindless followers. Okay, now all they just have to come up with one who's not, and your your theory is done. Exactly. Your little scientific theory, and you you know go throughout history, all the scientists, the great scientists and thinkers who were uh, drooling Christians is just like beyond. It boggles the mind. Mm-hmm. So I haven't it, found one. I found many. And and, and as someone McWhorter who I think really does appreciate the best of the kind of Western tradition you know of thought that's come to this way i mean there's so many deep roots of that in christianity and so when he's kind of name dropping but people he hasn't read you know he's saying this is like a medieval person reciting their thomas aquinas it's like well have you read thomas aquinas like that dude was smart like he knew what he was talking about and you know even so much of our like the first person who wrote a political theory was augustine with the city of god like that was a brand new thing and and even um uh, confessions was like a sort of a a brand new form of writing, this kind of spiritual autobiography. So, so much of, of, of what we value in the Western tradition of how we think and, and how we write and how we express ourselves, like has such deep roots. I mean, yes, in classical antiquity, but as Christians appropriated that. Um, and, and so you should like have some respect for your forebears, man. We stand on the shoulders of giants and these things that you love have deep roots in Christianity that you should seek to understand and be thankful for. These weren't just blind maniacs. These were some of the deepest and most profound thinkers in the history of human civilization. Right. Who set up the society that allows you to uh, publish your sub stack. Exactly. I I mean, he works at a a university, right? Columbia University. Where does the whole notion of a university come from? It comes from the church. That's right, man. Come on. (laughs) Come on. So I'm not saying he has to be a Christian, though I think he should, because it's true, and it'd be better for him to sure. believe true things than to not. But but even as an atheist, like, this is—it it has that tin-ear ring of the, uh, the new atheists, where it's like um, people who—it's it's, it's like people who are tone-deaf criticizing music. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's like, why are you making those noises where your voice changes sounds and goes up and down? You know, like there's an aspect of it, it, it's almost like a um, uh, 
I don't well, I'm not going to make this analogy because it'll be offensive, but just to say that it's like someone who can't, they're just somehow cognitively closed off to an aspect of human experience. Like he doesn't understand religion. Um, I think that's to his detriment. Yes. Because yes. even if you don't agree with it, you have to have an appreciation for the, the power and the beauty and even the poetry of something that's contained within the great religious traditions of, of humanity. I'll make this analogy. It's a thing when you see someone doing that, because is there, is there a bit of perform? I don't know. The, I, I think I've read his stuff in like Wall Street Journal, like yeah. shorter stuff. Yeah. So I haven't read the book. But it reminds me of when someone's doing something about which you know a lot, and then they're just doing it wrong. Like, and but they're just they're out there with it. And I think of the show. Um, <laughs> it's going back a ways, but it, this you'll you, you can analogize it to anything else on the show Lost. There was a famous band on there called Drive Shaft. Do you remember that? <laughs> no, I did. I did not watch. And they were Lost. like the world's you know most popular band. And instead of just saying that, they would show the band, and they were doing their hit song, and it was just cringeworthy, <laughs> terrible, in front of giant, you know, filling stadiums. It's like, oh, don't show the band. Just tell us they're the best band in the world. <laughs> so, you, you know, the evidence of your own eyes is like, you don't know what you're talking about. Stop that. But they just go ahead and, you know, no, they are. Here it is. So don't do it if you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Yeah, and, and not necessary. And your argument is, actually stronger when you go you know what i the like i have a deep understanding knowledge and appreciation for that which i am critiquing yeah. it, it it only reflects it just reflects much more it makes you seem like a much more thoughtful scholar and critic you know the person who has taken the time and the pains um the pains to understand the thing and i think he's done that actually with a lot of the anti-racism literature He's read it, and he's digested it, and he's understood it. But he's comparing it to a Christianity uh, and a religious tradition that he has absolutely the most shallow understanding of possible. And so that, I think, if I'm to distill it down after talking my way through this, my processing it with you, I appreciate that. It's like, yeah, he really understands Ibram Kendi and Robin D'Angelo and their, you know, Richard Delgado and Kimberly Crenshaw. You know, the, he understands the intellectual uh, roots of of this way of looking at the world, and then he's comparing it to something where it's like religious people, like they believe the world was created in six days, and the world is six thousand years old, and it's like that's really what you think, man. Yeah, yeah, not not a good look. Also, hard to convince people for whom you have contempt, but that's that's the difference. That just doesn't that yeah. just doesn't work. So, John, if you're listening to this, you're welcome for um, you know, thank you for your hard work, but. Also, take these words to heart, and I'm happy if you would like to... Let's get him on the show. Let's get him on the show. John, I'll ask you. We could do... We could read Chesterton. He could come to Chestertonian. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad you were able to uh, pound on the, the podium and get that point. I, lo- I love him, but I, this yeah. is a blind spot, man. Yeah. All right. We're going to take uh, just a short break, and then uh, the hottest of hot takes you've ever heard. Folks, you are listening to what was once the number nine Christianity podcast in Denmark. <laughs> there ain't nothing rotten in Denmark, I'll tell you that. Just just beauty coming up. And I am uh, an eighth Danish, so I uh, appreciate my, my, uh, my, my ancestors, my people. 
Oh, you're one quarter Dane. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So anyways, we got a couple of Danes, a couple of regular Danes here on the old pod. Uh, appreciating that. So, folks, thank you. I just want to personally thank everyone who's taken the time to listen, um, to share this, and to write reviews. I, I really do appreciate it. Even the three-star review that we got recently. Like, you know, it's better than a one-star, so I appreciate that. But, no, no, no. We we love it. We, we love the rating. We love the review. We, we love the sharing. And, yeah, again, I hope that even if you're screaming, you're listening on your earbuds, to your earbuds, that's me and Mike. Uh, and you're screaming, what are you thinking? What are you talking about? You missed this point. Just know that we're, we're glad that you're along for the ride and here for the journey. So, yeah, we, we appreciate that you listen to us two, uh, you know, just two nobodies in Minnesota. And you take time to listen to us. That's pretty crazy. So thank you very much. Let's get back to the podcast. I'm going to sizzle this take that's so hot that it'll come with a, it's like McDonald's coffee. It'll come with a warning. All right, we are back. Thank you, Pastor. Pastor is a hot take. I once heard, uh, who's the musician? T-Bone Burnett said, uh, we got a song coming up that's hotter than a urinary infection. Wow. So, <laughs> you've got a take that's hotter. This is a hot take. And Mike, it's some, it brings us to a shared experience that you and I had. Yeah. Remember before the You remember one of the last things that we did before the pandemic, Mike? Uh, we did a podcast. Well, yeah, but... but but we went we went somewhere together. You're not talking about our epic uh, Star Wars I sure trip. Am. I sure am. What what was the movie we saw? I mean, I know it was a Star War, but I, I have no idea what it was. Was it the oh my god? Was it called the Rise of Skywalker? Now I'm really embarrassing myself. Because well, okay. oh, it was the little uh, the the little tiny uh, tiny dentist puppet or Babu Frick. Babu Frick. <laughs> Babu Babu Frick, which oh. is Moaning Myrtle voice, voice Moaning by... Myrtle, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, I do need to look this up. I Yeah, so we did that. We went in costume. Yes, to a Star um, We got, the Rise we got of Skywalker. free beverages. Because of our costume. Because of our costumes. Pops. Not Don't get excited. It wasn't any alcohol, unfortunately. No, no beverages were, were soda pops. <laughs> um, and we weren't... Our costumes were... Yours was committed. Mine was not at all. It was but terrible. you did have a little braid. Yeah, but there was something about it that made these people run over, just a couple people, yes. and go like, can we get a picture with you? And I did see someone surreptitiously <laughs> taking a picture of us, yes. like, look at these guys, like, like, like side-eyeing with the phone. And really, the lamest, you know, we should be behind the dumpsters of Comic-Con, you know, just the worst. <laughs> but it, it excited a few people. So, yes, that's the thing we did. So It was really cool. So, anyways... I was recently rewatching that movie with what? my ten-year-old. What caused you? Oh, okay. With my ten-year-old. Right, okay. okay, there we go. All right. And you know, we, he and I actually came to a very similar realization because he's seen all this. Now that was the last one he hadn't seen it. Now he's seen all of the Star Wars movies, even the like. Uh, what's the one about uh, the Harrison Ford character? Oh no, uh, the Solo. Baba Solo. No, we haven't actually. I haven't showed him that one. Okay. And, and so is that considered part of the canon? It's canon. But okay. so he's seen the nine. He's seen the nine. He hasn't seen Rogue One or uh, a Solo. Solo, a Star Wars story or whatever. Wait, Rogue One isn't part of the. What's that? That's canon. That's the one where like I'm not gonna. All right, sorry, sorry. I'm not gonna bother <laughs> okay. explaining it to you. You don't care and you won't remember. But we both came to the realization that Episode Nine is the dumbest movie and it is i'm gonna say i'm my hot take is this it is the worst star wars movie wow yeah hot. 
And this is coming from someone who beef just hit the griddle. I hate the pre the prequels. Yeah, I hate them so bad. I mean, they're almost technically unwatchable, right? Correct. Okay, but at least you go George Lucas was trying to build like a he was world building. You know, he's trying to create like a. What he's trying to create like a universe, a political universe in which the empire could emerge from. So it's it's kind of like a story of hey, how did we go from the old republic to the empire? And so a lot of council meetings, as I recall. <laughs> correct. Which man do those come sizzling off? Oh. Speaking of sizzling, man do those fly off the screen? Oh! But for as like boring as that is, and awful, at least there's a coherence to it. You watch episode nine, you're like. And it, the first words are, and I'll never forget you laughing as the scroll, the opening, the dead speak or whatever it says. And Mike's just like, oh, he's just delighted with how stupid that line is. But it's like, they're like, hey, you know what? You know who's back? Uh, Palpatine. And you know what? Remember Snoke who got killed? Well, there's a whole uh, secret kind of evil laboratory filled with little Snokes growing in jars. And the Imperial fleet, um... Here, I'm just going to resurrect it out of the Black Mire. It, Carrie Fisher, is she alive in that one? Uh, she's, she dies in it. Oh, she dies in that, but she comes back in another one. Yeah. She, no oh, one's dead in the Star Wars. No. Universe. So it to me, you just watch it and you're like, this story is so dumb. It started nowhere and it's going nowhere. And you reach the end of it going nowhere. And it's offensive in terms of it's, there's no narrative. And it's just a bunch of people running around with laser swords. And it just bothers me deeply, Mike. You need to take a look at the whole series, baby. <laughs> That's all it is. And and for us, I mean, of course, it's like visually looks better than the prequels. Like in terms of a piece of like eye candy, it's much, much better. But in terms of narrative, that movie, it's even worse than The Last Jedi, I think, which is the middle one that everyone hates. Is that the one with his the best character trait is that he hates sand? No, that's in the pre Mike. That's in the prequels. And again, at, okay. le- at least the prequels have memorable stuff like I hate sand. It's coarse and it gets everywhere. Oh, it gets everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I don't disagree. I hate co- being covered in sand too. Who when, doesn't? When hate I'm at sand? the beach, well, some people like to just they get in there, dig a <sighs> hole, and they bury themselves in sand. I'm with uh, that idiot who played that guy. What's Hayden, his name? Cri- Hayden Christensen. Worst actor in all of history, <laughs> except when he was played as a little kid. That kid. That, <laughs> that poor guy. Worse. That was child abuse to put that <laughs> oh kid my in. Gosh. He was awful. But I'm just going to say that, folks, I dare any of you defy me that episode nine is the worst one because of it reveals just the complete imaginative and narrative bankruptcy of the entire new trilogy now are you staking this out are are you becoming the regular at a bar that nobody else is a regular at or are you have you looked this up i haven't looked are there hot takes on i'm sure i haven't looked up so many people obviously hating the prequels is you know that's you have to sure uh hating the last jedi that's you know also very common people really hate that movie which is the last jedi it's the middle of the new prequels it has the casino planet it is also a bad movie oh okay mike but when you go back and watch the ninth, you're like, none of it matters. It's so dumb. Remember they went to that festival on the planet? Oh, yeah. They went to Burning Man? They went to Burning Man? That was so stupid. That was pretty dumb. Why did they do that? And then they end up in that, like, like worm underground. And it's like they're trying to find, like, a 
dagger that is like a map to the fall. It's so. Oh yeah. And it's they so walk up to freaking the ship dumb. that's on the thing, and she goes, "Oh, there's the." It's the Death key. Star, and it's like, oh, the key like lines up. It's so dumb, man. It yeah. offends me. It 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 it. It's like. Here's the only way that I can accept it. It, it like National Treasure was self-aware of like just being absurd. Like there's a code in the back of the Declaration of Independence, and it was like winking. It was having so much fun just winking at all like the crazy like little you know hidden clues and meanings. This was like a like a rejected bit from like a National Treasure movie. Wow. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. we just did a uh, we did a live screening of a movie called Money Plane. With Kelsey Grammer. Oh, no, I've never heard of it. And what did it, you know, there were snakes on a plane. Mm-hmm. This is lowering the stakes. There's money on a plane. But it's a plane where you, if you're super rich, you can go up and bet on, you know, whether a guy, like, gets eaten by an alligator or something, you know, because it's not in, you know. It's, oh, yeah, it's like international it's waters. international waters. Yeah. Uh, but for some reason, they have to go up and steal cryptocurrency on the plane, which is a thing that I didn't know I th- I didn't think that cryptocurrency had to exist in this. But but anyway, that aside, they set it up where a couple of minutes, like, Kelsey Grammer's like, I want you on that plane. There's a bunch of money on that plane. I want you to get on the money plane. <laughs> and, then, and then they literally say it, like, seven more times. So, perfect. That I mean, I assume that was self-aware, but I you never know. It. But you never know. I love it. It was actually filmed at Kelsey Grammer's house so that he didn't have to go anywhere. Really? Yes. So, Nile, anyway. Niles, get on that money plane, <laughs> Niles. Did you? Were you afraid? Were you a Frasier fan? I was not. I, I was kind of working at that time. I knew people who worked on it, and apparently, it was a, a nice thing to work on. People but. love it. I was too young, I think, to appreciate it. Yeah. You know, I was like a let's not know as teenager, so it was not trying to appeal to someone like me i haven't gone back to watch it but it was on it was in syndication and it was like oh like fr- like oh they're gonna have a seinfeld like you'd always capture like the last five minutes where it's like well seinfeld is on after this like in syndication ah, okay. so yeah. i i might as well just watch the last five minutes of fraser so it always seemed like my my heart reaction to it is disappointment and this is a show for old people but I'm willing to keep an open mind that it's actually funny. I haven't revisited it. I'm sorry. I, I will one more thing about Money Plane. Yes, please. Joey Lawrence is in it. Oh, yes. His catchphrase was, whoa, I yes. believe his brother directed it. So I don't think I need to. I think you're all going to go rent it right now. So there you go. Well, go to RiffTracks.com. It's not, I mean, it's not there. We just did a when live. When are you going to get, oh, it was live? Yeah, we don't own it. Or I think it's on Hulu. Oh, you do? Yeah, when you guys do those things. Yeah, so we just hopped on to, yeah, to a live stream and watched it with people. It was very What fun. a thing. Yeah, it was fun. Well, I'm sad I missed it. It was good. Check out Money Plan. Money. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Pastor Berge's hot take is that the ninth Star Wars? Yeah, the ninth Star Wars. Is War. the worst. Correct. So please send cards and letters. Do you want to give out your uh, email address? Mike at internet.org. <laughs> biz, please. All right. Uh, this has been uh, Like Trees Walking. I am Michael J. Nelson. David Berge. So long. Uh-huh.